Our text this morning comes from the book of Psalms, chapter 68, verses 1 through 3. Let God arise. Let His enemies be scattered. Let them also that hate Him flee before Him. A smoke is driven away, so drive them away. As wax melteth before the fire, so let the wicked perish at the presence of God. But let the righteous be glad. Let them rejoice before God. Yea, let them exceedingly rejoice. The psalmist sets the tone for our study this morning as we are continuing to investigate current events in the light of Bible prophecy. And it's our purpose in doing this series to do two things, to incite and instruct the believer as to God's purpose and plan for living out His design, His role for our lives. As we understand God's plan, we then can understand our role, the role that God has set forth for us as we live here upon the earth as believers. As we see what's going on around us through our current events, we ought to be motivated as sojourners, that is, foreigners, not living in our own country, but living alongside the locals in order to do the business of the King of Kings and of the Lord of Lords. In our study today, we're going to examine God's judgment through what has been identified as the seven vials or the seven bowls of wrath that are found in Revelation chapter 16. So our study then comes from the 16th chapter of the book of Revelation. And... uh, We begin with verse 1 of the 16th chapter. He says, And I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, Go your ways and pour out the vials of wrath of God upon the earth. At long last, the long suffering of God will have at that point reached its climax And his vengeance is about to be poured out upon the earth. You may remember in our earlier study in the 6th chapter, we saw those that were martyred during this tribulational period crying out, how long, how long before you take vengeance? Well, when we get to the 16th chapter, we see that begin to really unfold in a, a, a dynamic way as God warned earlier the children of Israel in concerning their failure to walk according to the guidelines that He set forth. And now we're going to see that visited again. Back in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 through 6, God had instructed the children of Israel, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water 
under the earth. Thou shalt not bow thyself down to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandment. Now, many centuries later, that vengeance is going to be heaped upon a world that has denied God His rightful place as Creator of the heavens and the earth. And the voice that John hears out of the altar comes from a smoke-filled temple. The voice commands the angels, there are seven that have been identified there, he commands the angels to go your ways, pour out the vials of wrath upon the earth. Now we need to understand that all the former catastrophic events, uh, uh, even the killing of uh, six million Jews by Hitler, do not even begin to approach the degree or the magnitude of these great judgments that are going to be visited upon the earth during this tribulational period. So the seven angels are instructed to go forth and pour out their vials or their bowls of God's wrath. We saw in our study last time that our Lord Jesus Christ drank the cup of wrath that was due us. He drank it Himself as He bore our sins on the cross of Calvary. But these are individuals who have not received Christ, who have not accepted the grace of God, and so they must drink of the bowls of wrath as they are poured out upon them. The first angel then went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome, and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. So the target of this judgment is upon those who have received the mark of the beast, and those who have worshipped him. There fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Now this is some sort of physical sore that afflicts the physical body during this tribulational period. The Greek word that is translated sore is the word helkos, and it refers to an ulceration or a boil. It's described in the text as noisome and grievous, the literal interpretation of those Greek words is of being bad and being evil. God warned about this very thing in the Old Testament Pentateuch book of Deuteronomy in the 28th chapter, verse 27, said, The Lord will smite thee with the botch of Egypt and with the emrods and with the scab and with the itch whereof thou canst not be healed. 
In verse 35 of that same chapter, he said, The Lord shall smite thee in the knees and in the legs with a sore botch that cannot be healed for the sole of thy foot under the top of thy head. This is the same terminology then that relates to what's going to happen during the tribulation. Now Israel should remember what happened to Egypt before the exodus and that plague uh, that God brought upon the land. But in Exodus chapter 9, verses 8 to 12, we are reminded of that. The Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, To you and to the hand, uh, take a handful or handfuls of ashes of the furnace and let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt and shall be a boil breaking forth with banes, uh, blains upon man and upon beast throughout all of the land of Egypt. And he took of the ashes of the furnace and he stood before Pharaoh and Moses sprinkled it up toward the heaven and it became a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boil was upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. This is the same kind of plague that afflicted Job as well, when God had given permission to Satan to test him. The same terminology is used here in the Exodus with Job and then for the tribulational period. There is going to be the breaking out of these severe boils or blames. The second vial is identified then in verse 3 of chapter 16 of Revelation. The second angel poured out his vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Now when the second seal was broken earlier in our study in Revelation, we saw that there was great bloodshed. Revelation chapter 6, verse 3. And when he had opened the second seal, I heard the second beast say, Come and see. And there went out another horse that was red, and power was given unto him that set thereon to take peace from the earth, that they should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. That was at the breaking of the, of the second seal. The breaking of the sounding of the second trumpet sounded also, and at that time, a third part of the sea became blood. Back in Revelation chapter 8, verse 8, the second angel sounded, and as it were, a great mountain burning with fire was cast into the sea, and the third part of the sea became blood. But here in the 16th chapter of Revelation, verse 3, where the second vial is poured out, the sea is affected, 
says, and it became as of the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. So all that live in the sea will die at that particular point. And, of course, the stench will be terrible that comes up from that. God also used this same type of plague upon Egypt. We're seeing what he did in the preparation for the exodus with the Egyptians is being duplicated but manifold in these vile judgments as they are poured out upon the earth. We go back to Exodus chapter 7, verses 17 and 18, concerning the Exodus. Thus saith the Lord, In this thou shalt know that I am the Lord. Behold, I will smite with the rod in mine hand upon the waters which are in the river, and it shall be turned, they shall be turned to blood. And the fish that is in the rivers shall die, and the rivers shall stink, and the Egyptians shall loathe to drink of the water of the river. You might have picked up that this is a little different than the one in the Exodus account that we're looking at in Revelation 16. He does not say that the sea became blood. He says here that the sea became like the blood of a dead man. Well, of course, we know that life is in the blood. And so if there is no life in the sea, the creatures that live there will die, the source of life. A dead man has no source of life. And so that's the identification that's made here. We had earlier had a third part of the sea turned to blood, but now the entire sea becomes like the blood of a dead man. The third vial is revealed to us in Revelation 16, verse 4 and following. The third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of water, and they became blood. And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and washed and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. For they have shed the blood of saints and prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. So, at this point, we have a plague that breaks out upon the fresh waters of the earth, and they do become blood. Now, you'll notice that the angel of the waters then declares the righteousness of God in bringing this judgment uh, upon the earth. Uh, the Revelation chapter 16 verse 5 then says, And I heard the angel of the waters say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. The reason the angel of the waters gives this declaration concerning God's righteousness and judgment is found in verse 6, where it says, For they have shed the blood 
of the saints and the prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. Now that word worthy means they are deservant. They deserve this judgment. The King James text of verse 7 says, And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so, Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. But the Greek text says, I heard the altar say, Yea, O Lord, God the Almighty, true and righteous, the judgments of thee. There is no verb in the Greek text. In the English we had true are, true and righteous are the judgments, but you'll notice that's in brackets indicating the verb is not in uh, the text itself. The Greeks had a way, remember they had no punctuation early on in the language. And so they placed emphasis and used various techniques to uh, replace the absence of any punctuation. And to add emphasis, they would eliminate the verb that would be there in order to add emphasis to it. So in English, we have to insert it or we wouldn't understand what is taking place there. True and righteous are thy judgments. But the Greek text says, true and righteous, the judgments of thee. So there's a manifestation on the part of the angel that God is justified in what he's doing. And God receives a lot of criticism because of his harshness. Folks like to talk about the love of God, but they don't want to talk about the judgment of God. They seem almost a contradiction to us in our fallen state. The altar is the one that speaks, not a boy, not an, another angel, but the altar itself testifies of God's judgment, declaring that they are true and righteous. These testimonies then are given to remind us of the righteousness of God. We need that affirmation with our human viewpoint. It's hard for us to conceive that God would ever allow a soul to spend eternity Time without end in a lake of fire and brimstone. Our, in our fallen state, our compassion, uh, frequently outweighs our righteous judgment. And, uh, because of our lack of true justice and judgment, it's difficult for us to conceive. So the altar itself says, God is righteous and just. And therefore, this judgment is coming. Remember that these that are going to receive this judgment are those uh, who have uh, been persecuting uh, the believers and who have killed the believers. uh, And they have, most importantly of all, denied the Lord Jesus and His grace salvation through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now this prophecy is emphasized back, remember, in our earlier 
examination of the Song of Moses. As a matter of fact, we we read all 43 verses uh, of that Song of Moses earlier. I want to just go back and look at verses 40 through 43 of the Song of Moses. For I lift up my hand to heaven and I say, Live forever. If I wet my glittering sword and mine hand take hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to mine enemies and will reward them that hate me. I will make mine arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh and that with the blood of the slain and of the captives from the beginning of revenges upon the enemy. Rejoice, O ye nations, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and he will render vengeance to his adversaries and will be merciful unto his land and to his people. So God is justified and righteous, and as a result of that, judgment must come. He provided a means where he could bear that himself, but when that means is ignored, then the individual must drink the cup of God's wrath. Look with me at the fourth vial in verses 8 and 9 of Revelation 16. And the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and blasphemed the name of God, which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Well, we've had some heat waves when the temperature gets over 100 and a lot of folks suffer in those conditions and some even die as a result of the heat uh, when we have those heat waves come through. But they're nothing that can be compared to what is going to be here. It's apparently even too hot for me. Isaiah speaks about it in chapter 24 when he said, Therefore hath the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell there are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. In chapter 42, verse 25, Isaiah wrote further, Therefore he hath poured upon him the fury of his anger and the strength of battle, and it set him on fire round about, yet he knew not, and it burned him, and he laid it not to heart. The final book of the Old Testament before the coming of our Lord, the book of Malachi, chapter 4, verse 1, speaks also of this, For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud and all that do wickedly shall be stubble, and the day that cometh shall burn them up, the Lord saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them with neither root nor branch. Christ himself spoke about this in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 21, beginning at verse 25. There shall be signs in the sun and in the moon and in the stars and upon the earth Divers kind, uh, divers, uh, excuse me, on the earth, distress of nations, 
with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after those things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. And then shall they see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Yet for all of these afflictions, uh, the people will not repent. They'll have the opposite reaction and they will blaspheme God and the and blaspheme the name of God which hath power over these plagues and they repented not to give him glory. That's important for us to remembering that the hardening of the heart is the result of a firm negative position to begin with that is forced with repeated opportunities to change and simply becomes harder. There are those who uh, embrace the false doctrine of Calvinism uh, that God selects certain ones to save and uh, he will harden who he hardens, the scripture says, and have mercy upon who he has mercy. And so there's a lot of confusion upon God hardening the heart of Pharaoh and uh, the comments uh, of our Lord himself about hardening uh, the heart. Uh, The hardening is a result of a person having a choice to make, making a decision relative to that, and then being prompted through various circumstances to change their position. And each time... Instead of changing, they get harder and harder and harder. I illustrated uh, that I, I hardened my mother's heart from time to time as a teenager. I know that will shock you and, and surprise you that I might do that. But I would say to mom, mom, can I go with the guys? We're going to go over to San Francisco, going to the Autorama or something of that nature. She said, it, she would say, no, you can't go. And I'd say, oh, come on, Mom. That doesn't hurt anything. None of us smoke. None of us chew. None of us go with the girls that do. We're just going to go up there. All the guys I run around with uh, go to church, and I'm a pastor of a church. No, you can't go. Oh, come on, Mom. Just because you never got to do anything like that when you were a kid shouldn't prohibit me. I told you. You can't go, and if you ask me again, I'll jerk your lung out. (laughs) That's hardening the heart. And that was her favorite expression to identify to me there was not going to be any change in this decision. And that's what happened when God hardens the heart. He simply forces people to make a choice. And if they're negative then, they're going to become harder and harder in that position. These had refused to repent, and with all the plagues, one finds it difficult to imagine. They know it's God, and they curse Him instead of responding to Him because they're negative from the onset concerning God. The fifth vial 
is revealed for us in Revelation 16, verses 10 and 11. The fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness, and they gnawed their tongues for pain. And they blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they repented not of their deeds. Darkness. Darkness. The target for the darkness, though, is the throne of the beast. Now, we have already identified that beast as being the dictator of the revived Roman Empire, and uh, the one who has demanded that he be his image be set up in the temple in Jerusalem, and that that image be wor- uh, be worshipped, he is the one that controls all the buying and the selling uh, in the world at that particular time, and so God's going to attack his command post the king of the West, the dictator of the revived Roman Empire, his kingdom is going to be plunged into darkness. Now where the other plagues had fallen upon all the earth, this plague of darkness is simply on the dictator of the revived Roman Empire's area of dominance. It is dark there. The light's go out, the power grid fails, and the darkness is so severe that the scripture says they gnaw their tongues out of the pain of the darkness. It'll also provide an ample opportunity for the three other dictators of the time, the king of the east, the king of the south, and the king of the north to make their advance Because the king of the West, his kingdom is dark. And they will be able to make some progress toward the objective, which is Jerusalem at that time. For all of this, they will not repent, but they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and they repented not of their deeds. Men are always blaming God for their self-inflicted pain. And this is going to be profound. So the darkness is not worldwide. Just over the revived Roman Empire, the king of the West, and that's going to provide cover for the three other empires to make their move on Jerusalem. The focal attack of the final battle is upon Jerusalem. And so the king of the east and the king of the north and the king of the south will be able to advance even though the king of the west has had dominant authority and power because their lights are out and it is dark. That makes way then for the sixth vial to be poured out. The sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now this, of course, is is very significant. The Euphrates River will be crossed by the king 
from the Far East during the Armageddon campaign. And the kings of the East will need to cross that great river Euphrates in their, to set up their military attack on Israel. Now the Aswan Dam can facilitate that. God doesn't need that. He can, he didn't need a dam when he parted the waters of the Red Sea for the children to walk through. But if they shut the switch off on the Aswan Dam, the river dries up and they would be crossing. Uh, I'll leave it to God whether he wants to go that route or whether he wants to do it with some supernatural uh, means at that time. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 27, But the man marvels, saying, What manner of, of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? So rivers, no problem for our Lord. In Mark chapter 4, verse 41, And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, What manner of the man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him. Luke wrote this. He said unto them, Where is your faith? And they being afraid wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. So the Euphrates River is going to dry up, and Christ is going to take care of that. Those are the first six vials. And of course, the focus in this is now bringing us toward Jerusalem and the battle of Armageddon. So what's the purpose of these vial judgments? Well, verse 13 and 14 of Revelation gives us an understanding of that. Said, and I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to battle of that great day of God Almighty. So in the six judgments, we saw the waters of the Euphrates River then dried up to prepare a way for the kings of the east. Uh, and following that preparation, we have these verses. The scene then is the action of the unholy trinity, the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. The beast, the dragon is Satan. The beast uh, is the dictator of the revived Roman Empire, and uh, the false prophet is the dictator of Palestine, of Israel, uh, at that particular time, uh, that cast his lot in with the other two in this action. So they're going to persuade, the, this unholy trinity will persuade the kings of the earth and in the entire world to go into battle against the children of God in Jerusalem. Now remember in Jerusalem during this period of time, uh, the first three and a half years we had 144,000 Jewish evangelists 
proclaiming Jesus Christ as the Messiah. Now the last three and a half years, we've had Moses and Elijah in Jerusalem proclaiming that and the world hates them and the world has attempted to kill them and has not been able, but now the time is coming when they will be killed. And uh, so we're seeing the gathering together of the four world powers that are going to do battle in this area around Jerusalem and the Valley of Armageddon. Verses 13 and 14 then of the 16th chapter explains the purpose of the judgments is to establish the authority of Christ upon the earth. And when all the nations converge on Jerusalem, then the seventh vial will be poured out upon the earth. And that will be followed by the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself riding a white horse. And we, He's going to bring His armies with Him, but He's not using His armies. He slays them with the, with the sword, which is the Word of God. And He has written on His thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords, as He makes that triumphant entry into the world again and stops the battle and judges the nations. Now, we noted when we studied earlier concerning the judgments, we had uh, the six seals open and then we had a parenthesis before the opening of the seventh seal. And the seventh seal revealed the trumpet judgments. And we had seven, six trumpets sound. And then we had a parenthesis of explanation before the seventh trumpet sounded. And when the seventh trumpet sounded, it revealed the seven bowls of wrath. And when the sixth bowl of wrath then has been poured out, we have another parenthesis that explains uh, the things that are about to transpire and take place. So before the seventh vial is poured out on the earth, the Lord Christ issues a warning. Christ reminds them that He is coming. Uh, in verse 15 of chapter 16, of Revelation. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. He's going to come as a thief. Just another proof that the church is not on the earth at that particular time. They'll come with him because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4, speaking of believers of the church age, he said, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, in that they shall overtake you as a thief. The church has light and understanding and uh, will not be uh, taken in that. We have already gone to be with Christ and we will come back with him. So this is the final warning to the tribulational saints that they might be prepared 
because Christ is coming. He says, and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked. The word garments is not to be taken literal here, but it's a reference to their conduct or their behavior, their response. Now, in verses 16 through 21 of our 16th chapter of Revelation, then we have the perfecting of these vile judgments. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the earth, and there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven and from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such as was not since men were upon the earth, so mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts, and the cities of the nations fell, and great Babylon came into remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away, and the mountains were not found. And there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent. And men blasphemed God because of the plague of hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. The talent mentioned here is 129 pounds and 14 ounces. Hailstones, 129 pounds and 14 ounces. This is the culmination then of the judgments that are coming upon the earth. We can't help as we think about that drinking of the cup of God's wrath uh, with a flashback to the cross. When Christ received the complete judgment of God for all the sins of all the world, of all the ages, he declared, it is finished. Literally, the debt has been paid. In John chapter 19, verse 30, says, When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And when the declaration was made that there was a great earthquake at that point as he drank the cup of God's wrath on our behalf, there was an earthquake at that point. Matthew 27, verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. And they came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. And when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. 
as Christ drank the cup of God's wrath, now those who have refused to receive His gift of grace will drink their own cup of wrath. And there's a parallel of the earthquake as well. The next time that Christ utters that statement will mark the end of God's wrath being poured out upon the earth and upon those that refuse to accept His grace. These judgments need to be understood as literal then. And the events that are declared are not only possible, but probable. And in the uh, doctrine of the Scripture, certain as well. The seventh angel pours out his vial of judgment in the air. Now the air is identified as the present headquarters for Satan. Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the scripture declares. And uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, Verse 2, it says, Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. So when the seventh vial is poured out, there are thunders and lightnings and gigantic hail, and these then will be followed by an earthquake. That will be the final destruction of the religious, the political, the economic institutions that man has set up, and it will mark the end of the efforts of man to set up and to accomplish his dreams apart from the objectives of God. So this passage in Revelation 16.21 then introduces the Armageddon campaign. Next week, we'll do a summary of the campaign before going to the 17th chapter, which features in the judgment of false religion, uh, the great whore. And in the 18th chapter, we'll review the collapse of the world economic system. Then, in chapter 19, should the Lord tarry, the second advent of the Lord the return of Christ to the earth to establish His millennial kingdom of a thousand years before the final judgment, a thousand years later, in which He destroys this present earth and establishes the great white throne judgment and ushers in eternity. Current events boldly declare not only the possibility of what we've been studying here, but the probability of it. As we learn what God is going to do, then we can better understand uh, what's happening in our society today. And as we better understand what's happening in our society today, we should be better motivated as sojourners as foreigners not living in their own country, but living alongside the locals, doing the business of the king. Our gifting and our circumstances 
dictate what our behavior is to be as we represent the King of Kings. But of course, it all begins at salvation. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The Bible says, With the heart man believes unto righteousness, but with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved.